Welcome to Legal News and Review, recipient of the Florida Bar Award of Excellence. Legal News and Review, the only real problem solver radio program using the law. With your moderator, Philip Bell, and hosts and legal panel attorney, Gary Singer, chair of the Broward County Bar Association's Real Property Section. Gary Singer is board certified in real estate law and a syndicated columnist from the Sun Sentinel. He is an expert in his field of practice. Now, here's your moderator, Philip Bell. Happy New Year. On the docket for today's broadcast, Florida's construction employment reached an all-time record high this year, 2018. We're in a construction boom, but with any new construction, there are always construction defects, some large and some small. Today, from the law firm of Fowler White Burnett is Joseph Ackerman, who is double board certified attorney, certified in trial law and certified in construction law, and guess this, he is an expert, and I can say that on air. Joe will be giving us the 411 on construction defect law. Uh, Joe is also going to educate us on how we can avoid liens on property because the contractor didn't pay any of the subs. It's happened more times than not, unfortunately, here in Florida. And, And you can actually have to pay, get this twice for the same work. I'd first like to welcome the legal panel host for today, Anthony Quackenbush. Hello there. Thanks Hi. for having me. Perhaps our uh, uh, listeners remember when you were on, and it was on a personal injuries uh, topic. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My second time. We appreciate you filling in. Gary Singer will be back, as well as Michael Santucci is going to be coming back uh, as well, for those that uh, have been listening to the show from the beginning. Also, again, Happy New Year and good afternoon to our wonderful listeners on 96.9 FM, 103.9 FM, and 7.40 AM, along with iHeart, TuneIn, and iRadio Now national app listeners. I want to remind our audience, listen, you can actually watch the production live, and this is on Thursdays at 5.30 PM. Just Google Facebook, Legal News and Review, and it comes right up, and you can even see past programs. And we're looking at other areas to to further our broadcast, such as Instagram. You may find us on there very soon, if not today. And again, we're recording live at Kelly Ustall Building in their mock courtroom. Kelly Ustall Law Firm is committed to helping you seek justice. Just go to justiceforall.com. That's justiceforall.com. If you've been severely injured because of negligence of someone else, just go to justiceforall.com. Joe Ackerman, welcome to Legal News and Review. Thank you, Phil. I'm happy to be here. Joe, um, what is Statute 558 and how important it is to filing any kind of construction defect case in court? Well, 558 is, is very crucial if you want to be able to bring a lawsuit. But the purpose behind the statute was really to try and avoid litigation in construction matters. And what the statute does, it gives an owner the right to try and get uh, defects or defective construction remedied before a lawsuit's filed. And what it allows him to do is send notice to the parties that may be responsible of what the defect is, and they have a certain amount of time to come look at it and propose a remedy, and they try and resolve it before a lawsuit's filed. But if you don't follow the process, then your lawsuit can't go forward until you comply with the statute. 
Is defective building materials, is that um, another cause uh, for construction defect, or is that something totally different? Now, construction defects, you know, revolve around poor work, poor design, and poor materials, or improper materials than what was called for in the plans or specifications or the building code. If it's not material, I don't want to uh, focus too much time on this, but it, if it is uh, materials, um, whose fault then is it? It's not the contractor, it's certainly the developer's fault. Well, like a lot of things in the law, it, it's a function of the facts. And it's really hard to give a definite answer um, to that because mm -hmm. if the contractor knew that certain materials were called for and did not order them but substituted a cheaper material to increase their profit, well, then they would be responsible. The material supplier may not be responsible because they only provided what was ordered. Right. Okay. Sometimes the contracts say it can be this material or one of equivalent equivalent grade or quality, and sometimes there's a dispute over whether what was used was actually the quality that the owner had in mind. And that, that unfortunately does happen more times than not. And the most common types of construction defects, in my mind, um, involved in litigation is, is like mold, water issues. Is that correct? Well, I've seen a, a defects of every kind. I can't really tell you which one occurs more. Right. I would say the ones that concern people the most have to do with water intrusion, and which can lead to mold. But the mold issues are, are a little bit difficult because the way the, um, the agencies are set up is they're not really designed to see if mold is there and who caused it and how dangerous it is. If right. there's indications of it, then you clean it out and fix it. They're not really there to determine who's responsible, was it toxic mold, was it, you know, mold that doesn't cause any issues, because some people aren't, you know, affected by it. Mm -hmm. But the idea is to get rid of it. And so they take ca ca precautionary measures to keep the area safe and clean it out. Joe, it's Tony. Could you talk a little, a little bit about how a property owner would prove his or her uh, case in court in terms of a construction defect? In other words, how long? How does a prop property owner prove that there actually is a defect in property? Is it used by using experts, or uh, how, how does one go about doing well, that? Well, that's, that's really one of the big issues, is that you generally speaking, to prove something's done wrong, you need someone that's an expert in that field. And they generally take the form of architects, can be general contractors. It's a function of what the defect is. So if it's a roof problem, you need a roofing expert. Uh, you can't always use an architect to talk about roofing problems. You can, depending on the design, but generally speaking, like a lot of fields today, you need an expert who is knowledgeable and experienced as it relates to the defect, defect that you're talking about. Let me ask you another question. You were talking a minute ago just about uh, the requirement that before a property owner sues, he or she has to give the contractor, I guess, a chance to come fix the problem. How about in the case, I know there's a difference between patent and latent defects. How, uh, and my understanding is patent is an obvious defect, whereas latent would be one that might not be obvious to a uh, property owner. So specifically in the case of a latent defect, if a property owner doesn't, uh, isn't necessarily aware of a defect in the property, is the property owner still obligated to put the, the contractor on notice? Yes, as soon as they become aware of it or they have reason or should know about it. 
Okay. You know, if they're if they see, you know, it's different property owners have different level of expertise when it comes to identifying defects. If you have a company or a group of people that are regularly building houses, regularly developing buildings, you know, spots on the wall, stains on the roof, the ceiling may indicate one thing to them. To the average homeowner, it may not. So you may have an issue as to what is reasonable for to put someone on notice. But if it's hidden and the average reasonable person could not discover it without, you know, under normal circumstances, then they don't have a duty to either bring a claim or their time for bringing the lawsuit doesn't begin to run until they know or should have known about it. Okay. And I understand there's a 10-year statue uh, of repose. Correct. Um, why is that? Well, there's a, f there's a strong policy in the law that, that, that is based on a number of practical, philosophical, and due process considerations. If you're going to have a claim, the idea is, is to bring it sooner rather than later. So parties can have some peace that it's over with and they're done dealing with it. And generally those are governed by statutes of limitations. In other words, if you don't bring your claim within a certain period of time, depending mm -hmm. on what it is, then you've lost it. Now, what happens in the case of construction defects, sometimes products claims, medical malpractice claims, the party who's injured or damaged isn't really aware of it. Mm. And so they may not, for example, in buildings, some of them will say, well, we finished this building in 2008, it's now 2014, and we're just finding out about this. Right. Okay, so the policy is, there's policy is okay, well, there's got to be a point where it comes to an end at some point where either you know about it and should do something about it, or you've had sufficient time to find out about it. And a lot of it is driven by insurance companies that are writing policies to cover damages in effect over a certain period of time. So if there's no end point for them, then they can't really write a, you know, write a policy, charge a premium, and be open-ended for coverage. And likewise, people have records retention policies, and mm -hmm. so, I, I, in one case, I had a subcontractor that was sued over 10 years after he left the project. Mm. So it becomes a problem, and he just he was able to be brought in because he was brought in shortly before the statute of repose expired. But it still was a difficult case to defend because memories fade, records are missing. Oh, sure. Okay, and so the due process consideration is that the person who would have to defend the claim should be able to say, at this point, I don't have to worry about what happened? Because it's very costly to litigate old cases. My understanding and my my knowledge of construction law is fairly limited, but my understanding is a lot of times in these cases there will be a lot of counterclaims and cross-claims amongst all the various subcontractors. And, uh, so I a guess lot my, of finger-pointing, you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying to figure out they who is it. responsible. Yeah. So my question is, if um, I understand the statute of repose is uh, 10 years, if a lawsuit's filed on you know, not, after nine years and 350 days or whatever, right. uh, can the, uh, the subcontractors sub or the various defendants in the case still sue each other, you know, make counterclaims after the 10-year mark, or is that a hard ban, you know, bar on any kind of uh, suing? So after strategically, the mark? you're saying, why don't people just wait to the last five exactly. days? Exactly, yeah. 
Well, up until this past July, if one, the plaintiff sued the defendant and the defendant had a counterclaim and the counterclaim had expired, they could still bring it as long as it was related to the case that was initially brought. The new statute of repose basically is trying to do, you know, follow the policy of ending litigation, but they're basically saying that it becomes effective in July, and the statute basically says that for any actions that are commenced, July 1st, I think is the date of this year, this is the statute of repose that applies. So if your action was commenced before that, this new statute doesn't apply. But if you haven't started your action and the statute of limitations hasn't expired, then under the new statute, you have to bring it a year by July 2019 or you lose it. Okay. So there's kind of like a window there. And then the same thing applies to other parties that have claims that if the repose statute of repose has expired, they have a year to bring their claims. Okay. So, all right. So it could end up being 11 years. Uh, they have 11 year. Yeah, it could yeah. be longer, but generally it would be an extra year depending extra on. Extra year. Yeah. Now, in the news recently, there was a garage that collapsed at a, at a college, a university down here, and um, someone was actually killed. So if somebody finds out that it's a construction defect that caused it to collapse, and also if someone dies like a wrongful death, and can you have multiple lawsuits like that, or do you have to you have one or the other? Well, gen there's generally a principle where you bring all of your claims in one lawsuit. Okay. Okay, so I think it's unusual for a person who is killed in an accident as a result of a construction defect to also be suing for damages of a property nature mm -hmm. due to the construction defect. I don't think I've ever seen that. I've had cases where the suit is because the person killed, like for example, I was involved representing a subcontractor where they had a building and the worker was on the top of the seventh floor building and all collapsed all the way down oh my. due to shoring issues. But there was no claim for, right. I mean, I think the, the owner had claims for damages to the building, but the party, soon, the, the person who was injured wasn't, or killed rather, was not bringing a claim for construction defects. So uh, I guess it's conceivable, but I th in my experience, it's unusual. You know, we're going to have to take a quick break. You're listening to Legal News and Review, and we're talking with Joe Ackerman, Fowler, White, and Burnett, and we're talking about uh, construction defect law and how it's, i got to tell you, we're in a construction boom, and construction defects are going to just clog the, the court system, and you've got to understand what, what the rights are here. But also, when we come back, Joe, don't answer it now. What does a builder's warranty really cover? And will homeowner's insurance or homeowner's association insurance company cover damages caused by construction defects? I know you want to answer that. We're going to come right back. Do you need an attorney? Call someone you can trust. The Broward County Bar Association, a not-for-profit organization, was founded in 1925 to foster courtesy, ethics, and professionalism, as well as to provide necessary legal services throughout South Florida. The Broward County Bar Association, 3,000 members strong, has attorney members that work throughout the entire state of Florida, as well as nationally and internationally. Remember, the Broward County Bar Association is a referral you can count on. Call the Broward County Bar Association at 954 
954-764-8310 for all your legal needs. A referral you can count on. 954-764-8310 or contact online at BrowardBar.org. Non-lawyer spokesperson. Welcome back to Legal News and Review. Recipients of the Award of Excellence from the Florida Bar. To contact the legal panel hosts and guests, go online to BeLegalBuzz.com. Once again, here's your moderator, Philip Bell. Oh, yeah, I love this music. Legal News and Review is back on the air. And we're speaking with Joe Ackerman from Fowler, White, and Burnett, but they're also known as just Fowler, White. What happened to Burnett? <laughs> He's still there. It's still Fowler, White, and Burnett. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I In fact, Mr. Burnett passed away, I think, about oh. a year ago. And, really? Um, yeah, he was a high-class gentleman, a, a role model for all of us. Now, what does the builder's warranty really cover? And I have a follow-up question regarding homeowners insurance and association insurance. Well, like a lot of things in the law, which is why people uh, need to consult a lawyer to see what their rights are, a warranty can vary. Mm-hmm. You know, you can create a warranty by statu- by language, right? or there can be a warranty created in the statutes. And under certain, in, in many situations, a company, a builder, or a supplier of materials can limit their exposure through a warranty. Mm-hmm. They can limit the liability to say just what the cost of the material is. Um, they can have conditions that are imposed on the warranty. In most situations, if somebody hires a contractor, the general frame or practice is the contractor will give a year warranty on work and materials. I don't think there's, I haven't seen a statute that says that except as it relates to condominiums, I think, and homeowners associations. Well, I think of like the roofer gives me a 30-year warranty on the roof, 50 well, years if you're lucky. Well, that, that depends on the company, the roofer, and the terms of their warranty. It's governed by contract. Right, right. So That makes sense. And, and then you have another set of statutes. A lot of them are in the UCC and it relates to materials, but you have implied warranties of fitness for a particular use. So, for example... Somebody buys a house, there's a lot of water, they can't fix it. You have an implied warranty of habitability that mm-hmm. you can live there. You have an implied warranty that it can be used for a specific purpose. So those are rights created under the Florida statutes. So those aren't really rights that the contractor gives you, but they are created by law. And the homeowner's insurance or homeowner's association insurance company, uh, will they cover damages caused by construction defects like Mold or water seepage? Well, mold, mold's not a good one to ask about because a lot <laughs> of the policies I've seen have mold exclusions. They don't cover mold. And then lots of times they'll have an exception to that exclusion right. where they'll cover mold up to a certain amount, say $100,000 or something. So the problem with talking about insurance policies is that it's a function of what the policy says. Hmm. And um, I think it's wise if someone is about to undertake a project, to speak with a lawyer that's knowledgeable about that so that you can determine whether you have the coverages. I've been involved in a lot of cases where the general contractor, the owner, will require that those parties be insured and they give them a certificate of insurance. Okay. They, they think that's enough. Well, when we go to litigate it, that's just a certificate. They never really had the insurance to begin with. 
So it becomes a breach of the agreement that they didn't provide it as they pre But to prevent that from happening, you should ask for the policy itself. And so homeowners policies tend to cover damage to property, mm -hmm. depending on the cause. There's exceptions sometimes for acts of God or intentional conduct. Um, a lot of policies will cover damages as a result of construction defect, but not to cover the repair of the defect. Right, right. right. You know, they're, they're smarter than me, I have to tell you that. The, uh, up north in Florida, they had um, tornadoes. And the insurance companies decide to say, well, in your policy, it says, we will not cover any unnamed storm. Well, they don't name her, you know, uh, tornadoes and so forth. But because of the public opinion or the court of public opinion, they decided to cover it. You know, but otherwise, legally, uh, they had a leg to stand on, I think. You know? Well, that, that's the problem because, you know, sometimes, the, you know, they're happy to write you the policy and people don't really understand what the coverage is until they need it, and then they're litigating over it. Let me ask you kind of an unrelated question. Just uh, in a construction defect case, again, in the context of a property owner, uh, once the property owner realizes that, realizes that there is, in fact, a defect, does, does he or she have a duty to uh, mitigate, to try to you know, lessen the, the problem or repair it? Well, the, the general answer is you have a duty to mitigate your damages, but there's a problem that you have to be careful of. And that is, is if you change the condition, if you change the evidence, if you prevent somebody or the opposing party or the party that's allegedly at fault from having an opportunity to come in and inspect it, document the condition, then you could lose your claim because you, people will accuse you of destroying evidence. <laughs> so what you have to do is if you have a, a that's part of the reason 558 came into existence so that you, before you could sue you had to give anybody that was remotely involved with causing the problem an opportunity to come in and correct it look at it or at least document it so before you make changes you have to give them a chance to come in and take a look and do yes. everything Okay. Yes. So you can't just if you if you realize there's a problem with your property, you can't just go make repairs to the uh, to the property. You have to You'd be foolish to do so without at least documenting it in some way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you'd still have an argument over whether they had an adequate opportunity to look at it and or correct it. But if you do the repairs, uh, can you recover cost in, in a lawsuit? Yes, if you can establish that those were the necessary and reasonable amounts to correct it. Now, lots of times in a lawsuit, the other side will say, well. You know, I, you, you ask for a Chevrolet and your repairs are Mercedes-Benz. I'm not required to pay for the upgrade. When you came on, you said one of the things you want to do, as a public service, if you will, is how people are charged twice for the same repair or remodeling, if you will. Through a, through a building? Yeah. So okay. let's say I hire somebody to redo my kitchen, pay him $40,000, you know, top end. And uh, I understand that they could put liens if he doesn't pay the, the subs. Right. Now, the idea of a mechanic's lien is to protect the person that provides material mm -hmm. or labors and improves a property. And in order to do that, they to protect their lien, they have to give notice to the owner. And lots of times the owner is not paying attention to those notice to the owner. Mm -hmm. The general contractor gives him a bill. He pays the bill, and the next thing he knows, the general contractor hasn't paid the sub. In Florida, what, is, what a surprise. Hmm. So the sub then files a lien, and now the owner has to pay twice. So it's really important 
no matter how, unless it's, even if people are just redoing their kitchen, that they mm -hmm. take a few minutes and speak to a lawyer about how to deal with contractors. And I have to say that, you know, I want to answer all the questions and I can't give legal advice and I can't right. create a relationship. But I say that to emphasize how important it is to protect yourself up front. You know, my practice has been litigating problems after the horses left the barn, to use the cliche. People, if they can, before they undertake an expensive contracting project, if they spend a few minutes with a construction lawyer and they can tell that person how to deal with lien issues, how to deal with the contract. Or to avoid lien issues. More or to avoid lien right, issues. Right. And one way is you require the contractor to tell you who his subs and material people are and make sure they get releases of lien for the amounts of payment as the project goes through. And at the end of the project, the contractor needs to say before he gets final payment, these are who I've paid, these are who I've not paid, and what they're owed before he's paid. That's a, that's a good idea. You know, as always, it goes by so quickly. And uh, the best way to contact, if someone's listening and, and, and needs some advice or, or has an issue would like to talk to you about, what actually is the best way to contact you? I would just suggest that you go to the firm's website, fowler-white.com, and you can find my name on there, Joseph Ackerman, as well as all the other people in our firm in the other areas of practice. Yeah. And you can find out something about the firm. Because, uh, you know, people, when they're looking for a lawyer, need to do their due diligence. And they can look and see what our firm is about, the quality of our uh, representation. We've been around 75 years. Right, right. And, and so I, I would just say, look at, you know, Joseph Ackerman, Fowler-White.com. And my contact information is there. It's That's the best way. That, that is. That is. And you have some of the best attorneys, literally, in the whole country. Well, it goes by so quick. Well, I'd like to also thank Anthony Quackenbush, and we call him Tony. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Invite me again. We will. Absolutely. You've been listening to Legal News in Review, and we've been speaking with Joseph Ackerman. Joe Ackerman is board certified in civil trial and also in construction. He's double board certified, and that makes him an expert. And remember, put your cell phones down. Even though you're driving and listening and texting, don't. You know, the life you may save may be mine. And remember, be legal! You've been listening to the award-winning Legal News and Review, recognized by the Florida Bar's Award of Excellence. To contact the legal panel hosts and guests, go to BeLegalBuzz.com. And to reach Gary Singer, board-certified real estate and syndicated columnist, appearing in 400 media outlets, including the front page of the Money section every Monday in the Sun Sentinel, from the law firm of Gary M. Singer, PA, call 954-851-1448. For Legal News and Review, remember, be legal.